Okay. I mean, with audio drift Well, I guess we'll get started. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, hi. Good to see you. I know you guys met before on Twister, but oh, I don't yeah. think you've seen him yeah, before. Yeah, we were just doing audio. You haven't seen his face. Call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well that's I why to- I thought. I didn't. I was gonna recognize you more than I did. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I know. We we met." And then I saw you, and I was like, "Oh, I must be thinking of someone else." <laughs> Commending cohesive content, exploring epic epilogues, proudly praising proper part twos. It's the follow-up showdown continuation. Celebration with Paul Getz, Travis McMaster, and Lauren Pacorni. Oh, hiya, uppers and downers, and welcome to the follow-up showdown three, AFIII. We are a podcast that pitches ultimate sequels to movies with weak ones or none at all, and this season we are snowplowing our way through the list of all existing sequels to movies on both versions of the AFI Top 100 list. But... When we come to a good sequel, like the one we have today, we do what we call a continuation celebration, where instead of pitching, we talk about why it actually works. I am your what-the-heck-of-a-host, Paul Getz, and with me are my darn lovable co-hosts, Travis McMaster and Lauren Bacorny. How the heck are ya? Oh yeah, good, yeah. For sure, for sure. Real good, then. Okay, well, today (laughs) we are taking a gander at 2014's Fargo Season 1, television series adaptation, and sequel to number 84 on the original Top 100 list, 1996's homespun murder masterpiece, Fargo. And our guest is a straight shooter and a dear close friend of mine, the equivalent of what Mario is to Travis, but from college. You may remember him from our Twister episode last season, Dustin Weisskopf. Thanks for coming back. (laughs) Thanks for having me then. I believe it was heavily established on the Twister episode that you were a singular film fan for, of Twisters. I mean, you like other movies, sure, but I feel like I talk to you more about TV. Tornadoes. You and I. Sure. Yeah. Would you say you're more of a TV guy than a movie guy? These days, definitely. They don't yeah. make them like they used to. They don't make them like Fargo. No. Or Twister. <laughs> or, or, or Twister. They make them more like Twister. Yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> That's a very good point. Before we get into talking about these gems that we've got in front of us, we just have things left on the table. Let's get these things off the table. So anyone this season trying to follow along with the sequels from both these lists in reverse order, I can't imagine who you are, but that is how we're doing it. Uh, You may have noticed that the second movie we should have covered this season was 2017's Blade Runner 2049, sequel to number 97 on the 10th anniversary list, 1982's Blade Runner. The reason we didn't is because we already did that episode. It was last season's continuation celebration. So if it's bothering you, go back and listen to that one. We'll wait for you. Yeah, you know, if it's not bothering you, you could listen anyway. It's a good one. We really like that movie. Yeah. yeah, that's where we establish Unsung Heroes, that episode. Oh. oh. You a, should listen then as a yeah, downer. As a I can't point. remember who mine was. <laughs> okay, well, let's get right into the minutes. So because we are breaking down a movie and an entire season of television, Travis, I'm going to give you three minutes oh. to explain everything that happens in these entities. A minute's too short. Two's not enough. Want to hit the plot points, but the fitting and stuff. There's a special segment you're about to be in it. Three Travis McMaster minutes. 
Travis McMaster minutes. Oh, first of all, matter of protocol, we always no, in this house always, you always say it. But offer it's always... the minutes to the guest. If our esteemed guest Dustin, if you would like to take a crack at the minute and recapitulate the plot of Fargo and Fargo. Now's your time to shine. Or no. just one. You, oh, you don't want me to do this. Don't don't put me on the spot. with. And you said no. Dustin said no. They always say no. Yeah. yeah. Mario always Mario. says Sorry. yes. All right. No, that's fine, Dustin. You're in good company. Everyone but Mario. <laughs> Everyone but Mario. <laughs> Definition of good company. JK, Mario, we love you. Uh, are you ready? Make the boys go ready for your three yeah, minutes? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Who wants to see how fast a plane can crash? Right. And... Go. So the following minute is completely true. Uh, uh, the names will have been changed as I forget them, but the events <laughs> otherwise will also be sort of scrambled Too out long of respect. This. Too long on this bit. There's not going to be an, I don't remember enough of the plot to do much more than like riff on the. Oh, so, right. okay. So in Fargo, William H. Macy, in the movie, William H. Macy is hiring some fellas to kidnap his wife, who is the daughter of the rich, you know, real estate man in town uh to to ransom her off for money for his uh, nebulous debts i don't really think they they say what it is for sure mm. um everything goes wrong uh the guys that they hire kidnap her but then the dad doesn't want to give money and then he's getting um investigated by local pd um the marvelous um uh, okay no <laughs> sorry sorry uh <laughs> uh so so all the characters conglomerate and they spin around each other and the crimes go wrong and then, and then the crimes go wrong. You just watch. It's a Cohen movie. Everything unfolds and goes wrong in a very tight, charismatic, charming way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, speaking of kidnapping, um, in Fargo, the TV show. Oh man, not a lot of kidnapping. No really. one. No one gets kidnapped. right. So there isn't any. <laughs> like it's it's. In- and it just got worse from there. What you're about to hear are some of my favorite and the most coherent excerpts from the minutes that followed. And uh, then he, no, sorry, first, wait a minute, uh, Lester, William H. Macy's Martin Freeman. It's only going to get more complicated. I haven't even introduced Oliver Platt. Oh, God, we're not in Fargo, actually, in Fargo. Billy Bob Thornton plays the devil, and he helps, but not literally the devil. David Carradine's brother owns the diner. Sorry, Oliver Platt, his wife is going to be fake kidnapped for, no. No, 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 no. Sorry. His, he is being blackmailed. Oh, I forgot to mention the money in the movie. That's actually super important uh, because of the ice pick, uh, the ice scraper. Then it jumps ahead a year in time. <laughs> oh, God. All right. All right. Well, that's yeah, it. That's the, that was, yeah, that was, uh, I don't think it's never been. It's, 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 it's the Cowans. That's a rough recap, my friend. I, I, I mean, uh, there. Mm. It's. I, I think agree. I should have done this one. A lot I agree. I think I should have done this one. I think uh, I can we all? This one. If I this admit that, that, that this one is bad again, <clears throat> another everyone's waiting another three minutes. I think we could just move on. Well, I just you can, can we? edit it out. I think, but if you can think we, you can do better, no, I think we should agree. This is kind of Dustin's fault for not picking up the reins. Oh, that's Robert. interesting. Well, no, I knew what I was in for. Yeah, <laughs> like, I knew <laughs> oh, there was no way. You want to watch me fall on my face? That's what this is about. Absolutely. All goats, cliff notes, that's not a pronounce my name, although it's spelled like it would be. Theo is silent. Martin Freeman plays Lester Nygaard, a hapless insurance salesman whose wife and brother don't like him. He is bullied as an adult by the same man who bullied him in high school, Sam Hess. The bullying leads to Lester breaking his nose by running into a door. While he's at the hospital waiting 
starting to have his nose looked at. He meets evil incarnate and expert killer Lauren Malvo, played by Billy Bob Thornton. This leads to two things. One, Lauren kills Sam Hess on Lester's behalf. Two, Lester is emboldened to go home and murder his wife with a hammer after she, Pearl, speaks to him cruelly. He calls Lauren over to the house to try to pin the murder on him. Uh, the chief of police, Vern Thurman, happens by looking into a different case and finds Pearl. He's about to arrest Lester, but then Lauren shows up and murders him. This leads Deputy Molly Salverson to start investigating Lester and ultimately Lauren in uh, uh, seeking out justice for her mentor. Um, also, Sam Hess was related to a crime syndicate out of Fargo, so two hitmen, Mr. Wrench and Numbers, come to town to try to get his killers. They run afoul of Lauren Malvo, who kills one, lets the other one go, and then ultimately murders the entire crime syndicate, while two FBI agents, Budge and Pepper, are present, leading them to be banished to the file room. Meanwhile, Lester is becoming more and more evil as he evades capture and gets the murder of Pearl pinned on his brother. Molly Salverson also meets a man named Gus Grimley, another cop who she falls in love with. A year later, Lester runs afoul of Lorne, becoming his, by happenstance, becoming his new prey. Um, Molly is contacted by the FBI agents who are after Lorne also, and they all get together to catch him. After Lester tricks Lorne into stepping into a bear trap, he's in a weakened state and is killed by Gus Grimley in his rental home. In that same rental home, the police find evidence of Lester's involvement with Pearl's murder. Lester evades capture a little bit longer, but is ultimately chased by police onto some thin ice where he falls through and drowns. Molly lives happily ever after as the new chief of police with Gus and his teenage daughter and their new baby. Uh, okay, I'm out of time. Uh, separately, there's a subplot about a grocery store magnet that Lauren gets in on blackmailing. Uh, nobody gets the money because it's the money from Barry in the movie Fargo, and the magnet believes it's cursed, and he reburies it, and that's all that happens there. Except his son and bodyguard die in a car accident. All right, so that was Fargo, uh, in a way. Uh, 1996, one best actress, better original screenplay. I think the Coen's ultimate masterpiece, uh, Hard to of argue. their career. Could argue. Um, I think some of their other films are so great, you could argue, but it would argue. be a hard argue. Yeah, absolutely. I This, for me, I mean, this is the best movie I think that they've done, for sure. The directors and writers of this film, Joel and Ethan Cohen. If you don't know who they are, look them up. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. I love this movie. Let's. How does everybody feel about the movie? Love this movie. Yeah. I liked it. It's uh, one of two Cohen movies I actually like. What's the other one? Big Lebowski. I do think those are the two best. I would agree those are the two best, and those are, yeah, the, the Lebowski would be the hard argue for me. I know it's... it's Yeah, it's, as an equally um, perfect movie in a very different way. Yes, but not, not yeah, in I was that different of a way. Oh, brother? See, okay, so the, the gates are open for these guys. They A lot of films that people truly believe are perfect or close to perfect. Yes. I do think Fargo is... Even though it is very specific, it is more accessible to more people than Big Lebowski. I think Big Lebowski, you have to wade into. You have to watch it a couple times to it really... Has a, sure. It has a yeah. more yeah. outlandish flavor, if you will. You, mm-hmm. you kind of have to be willing to give it a little more versus where Fargo is kind of just a straightforward like crime. And if you've <laughs> never seen a Coen Brothers movie, you could still be just compelled by how intense the story is. True. Of yeah. Fargo as uh, you're going along with it. It's intense. Big- the pacing is there's it doesn't fly by. No. It does, but it doesn't drag. It, 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 it's just it's measured. And then, yeah. Yeah, I think the same way they they do later with No Country for Old Men. I think mm-hmm. that was their 
It's definitely an attempt to get back to the vibe, at least, of Fargo. I love that, I mean, suspense and tension is very important in Fargo. It just holds you the whole time because the facts of the story are horrific. But what makes it a comedy at all is like so few details of the story and all the lovely quilt of Minnesota nice mm. that's on top of everything. I mean, that is the movie. That's what think, differentiates it. I don't think that's enough to call it a comedy, though, honestly. You know, I was sold on this movie as a comedy when it came out. And that was the guise under which I watched it. Now, I was 11, so there was no you way. You thought murder was a lot funnier. It was it is. for you. I, would being yeah. told that was a comedy when I was like knee deep in like Ace Ventura. And then that's the movie you're shown. I didn't get it. And I certainly yeah. didn't like it. Mm. I do now. Now I yeah. think it's brilliant and wonderful and I get the jokes. But like I was look watching it with Lauren this time. I was like, there's no way an 11 year old yeah. could be expected it, to understand. Here's the thing. Sure. I fell in love with Fargo around 11. Damn it. Mm. Whenever it came out, I became obsessed with it because my dad liked it. And my dad was notorious for showing me that and Pulp Fiction early. Mm. Uh, notorious from my mom's side uh, for having done that. <laughs> But uh, I loved Fargo from Go, and even though I was scared of it, I just just the simplest stuff like Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare in the car, and Steve Buscemi's being like the total fucking silence. <laughs> See how you like it, where he can't stop talking. Even That's though a great he's joke. trying to make it, I don't think that as... makes this film a comedy. It is a comedy. It has like it's the blackest moment of black comedies. My favorite uh, scene in the movie might be... Can you be, argue that it's not a tragedy? Sorry. It's both. A no, tragic comedy. But isn't the thing... Okay, fine. I think it's very well captures how people interact with each other, which is sometimes funny, but I don't think it's a comedy. I mean... It's pretty dark. The major joke outside of visual gags, like the kidnappers walking up to the house and looking in the glass... <laughs> Like that sure. moment, there are plenty of things like that that are visual gags, but I agree that the jokes of Fargo are all one joke, which is, I can't believe how horrible the situation is and how they're putting everything under this speech pad. Like <laughs> my, the, the scene where William H. Macy is waiting to call Wade and he's going, ah, jeez, ah, gosh, like, wait, like he's practicing what he's going to say oh, about sure, her sure. getting kidnapped. Oh, that's, and then, that's a brilliant cut because they don't show you. Right. Right. And then you, you it the ends with yeah. the perfect line of, yeah, Wade Gusterson, please, <laughs> where, where he's so <laughs> calm and resolved. It's That's one of the interesting things about, uh, not to jump ahead to the show, but about the movie and the show is presenting this guy as so bafflingly bad at crime even mm -hmm. even though crime is it's cer certainly trickier than it seems otherwise <laughs> we'd all be rich and sneaky but the the things the ways that he stumbles and drops the ball are so excruciating to watch and it's weird because obviously you don't want him to be better at kidnapping his wife for her sake you well do. <laughs> i guess yeah <laughs> but it's just it's just watching him you know and just to toying and wrestling with your own emotion of like i wish you were better at this or worse it's kind of the culmination of those first few years of the coen brothers developing their particular brand of tropes like it's you know mm. it's it's not raising arizona wacky but it 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 
it it builds on the buffoonery of the kidnapping elements yeah. of that. But it's mixed with the the super seriousness, the super that just oh my god, I can't believe what I'm seeing of like Blood Simple. That's a very good soup. Cohen soup. Mm. Cohen soup. Not to jump ahead to the show, but the show took every, the ingredients of that soup and keeps them in every version of the soup it cooks up. Mm. And yes. those ingredients include truly good people who are smart, very evil people, and stupid people. Yeah. yeah. And that's the that's the magic. Those and, are the ingredients, uh, yes. Yeah. Top tier talent. Of course. Of course. Uh, now, there's always an overly greedy person as well. Yeah. Right. They, but they qualify as the stupid. Although I guess Lester isn't that stupid. In, in that sense, um, Jerry's not stupid. They're both short. They're both very short-sighted. Yeah. Yeah. They're both incredibly short-sighted. Yeah. And Although not charismatic. Also, a lot of the problems that they could easily get out of come from a complete but, lack of of awareness and charisma. But I would say what gets mm. them as far as they get, as opposed to have caught earlier is they do have the power of charm. It is, again, a very specific Minnesota nice style of charm. That's what they have. Like, nobody suspects them because they're, they're the first it, it, guy to, to come in. And if they encounter someone who, like Billy Bob Thornton, or like even Marge to an extent, if that one trick they have doesn't work, their, their, their specific brand of charisma, they don't know what to do. Right. They lock up. They run out the window. They, you know, it's... Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They <laughs> they only move. I, the system is what takes care of you. And when you... Mm. When parts of the system that are not a part of that system don't go along or get enough power, then you're caught very quickly and easily because all of your charms are just, you know, handshaking another white guy. Yeah. Uh, but you do... it's just Margie. It's in charge. If you look at... Yeah, your, your protagonist, the cop that's Philip Marlowe is... You know, just a pregnant aw shucks lady who's but just thinking. I do think that that same layer that blankets the horror on the criminal side also blankets the shrewd, brilliant detective work on her side. Yes. It's and cloaking Sherlock Holmes right. in Minnesota Nice and making her sure. just in between her investigation instead of Columbo going, huh? oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, what I thought was she does the. Okay, you betcha. Be right back. <laughs> that's exactly like, what yeah. I meant when, like, as an 11-year-old, I didn't get it. Because watching it last week, I was like, oh, this scene is hilarious because it's just the scene you've seen a thousand times of the grizzled cop right. looking over the bloody crime scene and figuring it out. Except it's this really nice, sweet, normal lady, mm -hmm. but she's just getting all the same exact results while the men stand around her and go, oh, yeah? Yeah. Marvelous. Mm. What do you guys make of the significance of her... Uh the guy from her high school. Mike Yanagida. Mike Yanagida is a very key thing in the Fargo universe when it comes to the show, when it comes to the movie, when it comes to the discussion of Fargo. Oh. Hmm. Uh, because some argue that it's unnecessary as a scene, and it certainly is in terms of being related to, related to the plot. Basically, the main character is called by an old friend from high school. They meet for dinner alone. He hits on her. Uh, desperately, he comes up with a story that he married someone and they died, and then she later finds out away from him on the phone that that is all made up. So that is all that storyline is. Some argue that it is what gets her on to Jerry Lundegaard, oh. because it proves to her as a character that people make things up. 
But I don't agree with that personally. I think she's already on to him. I think she's too smart. Yeah. I have different thoughts on it. I think Margie is a small town ga- small town gal. She's been married for a while. She's about to have a baby. I think a part of her still craves just like a freer life. Like she mm. she went all the way there to like meet him pretty much. Well, she was in town on police business. On police she had business. to travel. But so. I I feel like she was very excited to yeah. go just like she to like St. Paul. She dressed up. Yeah. She saw a friend from high school, like perhaps maybe a part of her like wanted to be flirtatious, but then whenever he got there, she was like, oh, like, this is not what I was expecting. I don't want this. So mm-hmm. I think a part of her once mm-hmm. craves that, like, freer single gal life while she's, like, you know, about to have a child yeah. with her husband. It doesn't even have to have a bad implication no. if all she wants from it is to have a good time, maybe even find him charming, whatever. What ends up happening is <laughs> a humiliation. Right. <laughs> It's weird because it's it's almost like, yeah, it jogs her into thinking, oh, people can just wholesale lie. Although I think she's already on to Jerry. She's he's not good enough and she's too good. She's got to be good or she's got to be experienced, at least, because, you know, she's there's there's not much OGs. And whenever she sees the, the dead trooper, she's just ah, right. You know, right. Poor guy. Yeah. Like like this is not. <laughs> This is not her first brutal murder scene. Likewise, yeah. she's not phased by the wood chipper really yeah. again. She's yeah. just on task. Uh, she's she does, so she doesn't. Yeah. yeah, and part of that yeah. I think is it, you know she turns it on for the job, and then like she you know on, on yeah. the, she ends ends the movie driving the last guy left and sort of lectures him us y- yeah. the wind about what was the point of it's it more all. to life than money yeah. Yeah. Don't you know that? That's what I I love about her character is that like anything that comes to her, she's never overwhelmed by anything because she just takes it as she sees it. Like, is it a dead state trooper? Mm -hmm. Well, she'll figure it out. Is her husband feeling a little insecure about his bird painting? Well, she'll figure that out too. Is Mike sitting too close? Well, why don't you sit over there? Yeah, yeah. And she's just steady as a heartbeat. Yeah, the thing throwing her the most is the pregnancy. It's just the only thing she's dealing with that she seems to have any like... You know, the, no, just think I'm out of art. <laughs> right. Like, has to, does have to deal with it, but will deal with it as steadily as anything else. Boy, I could definitely yeah. see being on set and watching her do that performance and then saying, I should probably marry her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he married her many years in, before that. Yeah, in, in 84. 84, so. yeah. Well, whatever she was doing then, I'm sure it was the same kind of vibe. So, sure. yeah. No one was considered for her role besides her. Right. You know, and it was written for her. It was also written for Steve Buscemi, who is amazing. This is his best role. I I love Steve Buscemi, but he's phenomenal. It does seem like very like his essence, his Buscemi essence-ness. It's the the essence of him. If you go world meets Steve Buscemi. Right. If you go any deeper, you're going to get into his like hearty Peaky Blinders acting. If you go in another direction, you're going to get in. uh, Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. Um, quick question, since I'm sure this is a name we're going to say a lot. Is that how you pronounce his name? Buscemi? That's I what mean, I've heard. I've, I've heard that. I've also heard Buscemi. I've been saying that Buscemi early. my entire life. But. I, I think I think for a long time the, the world at large picked Buscemi, but I, I, I believe I've heard him on some... He's Buscemi. probably correct. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's more of us. Last few things I want to say about Fargo, or at least talk about. One, it was almost... well. It was called Fargo instead of Brainerd. It came down to those two as titles, mm. and the Coens just oh, said Fargo yeah. sounded cooler. Good, they were right. Good choice. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, that also set up because not much of it takes place in Fargo. It's just sort of, it's, that set it up as a a metaphysical place more than a specific city in North Dakota, and allowed part of what allows the show to happen in every, around yeah. different time periods, etc. It's the city where the inciting incident happens because mm-hmm. it's where he hires them. Yes, right. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, something something always happens in Fargo. Yeah. But its level of importance isn't always the same. It's the real uh, Las Vegas of the Midwest, they say. <laughs> Actually, the Coens, who are from Minnesota, describe that whole region at play as uh, Siberia with family restaurants. <laughs> That's what it looked like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's cold. I only saw the one restaurant, though. In the, the diner show. from the. That's a little joke about the. There's a lot of restaurants in the movie. Arby's, which we just had. <laughs> we did have the Arby's. Arby's uh, the hometown the buffet. Radisson. Yeah, it's the Radisson, so it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> See how funny it is. See everybody. Sure. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. And, and it's and it, it honestly, I, I so I just watched the film. Like, yeah. just finished it up half hour before now, uh, and it was weird going back and watching it because it's now been so developed into such a universe of characters mm. that it's like, oh yeah, this is where. All that sort of came from. All that started. But it, it, I mean, you can't ever watch it this, in the same way that you would in 1996. Sure. Look at all this new stuff they're doing. I've cool. never seen a story like this type I, of thing. Right. One yeah. thing I noticed about Characters when watching like it yeah. is because uh, we're, we're a captions household. We watch everything with captions. But I tend same. to turn yeah. them off when we're watching like a beautiful animated movie because it's in the way. I can't see the pretty pictures. And I found myself really wanting to turn the captions off with Fargo. It was just carved out of film. Mm. Every, the movie. The movie. Yes, the absolutely. way it looked, like oh, every shot. I, yeah. I felt like it's the words were yeah. getting yeah. in the way of seeing yeah. Yeah. the frame. The movie, I, I love the show and I love everything the show, well, not everything, but a lot of what the show has done. The show's incredible. But Fargo is, to me, the movie, like, it's so much easier to call a masterpiece because it's so tight. Yeah. There isn't any time wasted or at least not spent on atmosphere that is needed. Depending on how you feel about Mike. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's... I've watched it with people that find it boring. And I guess I understand that too. But I also just am like, well, they're not on the wavelength. Whatever. <laughs> Some people know, love it. It's amazingly yeah. tight. Given, I have no scientific basis for this. But I feel like it. if you were to, you know, line up the script versus other film scripts take out the spaces, whatever, it wouldn't be that long. Yeah, like, that's I true. I don't think there are that many words yeah. spoken in it, because, but everyone is obviously labored on, you know, yeah. each yeah. and every line. And that, that's something you lose a little bit in the show because, well, A, it's not the Coen brothers writing it, and B, you just have to write more when you're doing 12 yes. or how many episodes? And Ten. there's only so Ten. many Ten. Riddle-esque speeches a character can mm-hmm. give before you go... Okay. That's the other thing. I think in any TV series, they have to be 15%, at least, more real people. Like, these characters were great movie characters. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. the more you poke at Marge Gunderson, the more you have questions. Like, you know, Mm. how did she get these skills? I feel like she was deep enough, but there were other characters that I would feel Sure. There were some Buscemi lines that were... I wouldn't change them. They're fantastic, but they're movie lines. They wouldn't work in the context necessarily of a TV show. They're too, you know, just a little too shiny. Get the fucking shot! Shot me in the fucking face! Sorry, I don't know why. That's good. That's good to that me, yeah. yeah. Okay, so a character we talked about in terms of plot, but haven't really talked about in terms of performance as much so far is Jerry Lundegaard. 
William H. Macy. Who this is his, uh, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, his one Oscar nomination. Uh, he kind of had to beg the Coen brothers for this part. What? It was supposed to go to Bill Pullman, who what? had to leave the project. Uh, oh, then my. Richard Jenkins was up for it. Okay. But he was in the running Whoa. with William H. Macy. And then William H. Macy flew out to wherever the Coens were and said, apparently approached them and said, I- I'm just, I'm really worried you're going to ruin this movie by not giving this part to me because this is my Oh, yeah, yeah, I read this. Yeah. You're going, I'm worried, like, I don't want you to mess this up and make the wrong decision. Or something. I, yeah. And he, I can't. I have to yeah. agree. I can't. Yeah. Do you, I can't, He's I gotta say, I love I mean, Bill Pullman. I cannot picture him in this. Do you know why he had to leave the project? No, I don't have that. I don't think, I want to see him I, in this role either. He's kind of like, he's like the good be. guy, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and Richard was, Jenkins. I could, I could entertain that possibility that, that he more. that he came because I, I wasn't. I think like most folks, I wasn't super aware of him until maybe Six Feet Under. Mm. Uh, that was the beginning of him, right? Mm. Popping. Remember when there's something about Mary, which is being like, who's that guy? It's always weird. <laughs> oh, was he? Yeah. In? yeah. yeah well, I, I <laughs> For me, it therapist. is actually the cabin in the woods. Oh wow, that's late. Yeah, For I, me, it is uh, Wolf. <laughs> wow, Lauren won. <laughs> Wow. Nicely done. That's a good movie. Yeah. What, wait. Yeah, Wolf's one. What's Wolf? Wolf is... Jack um, Nicholson, yeah. James Spader, werewolves. Yeah. Pfeiffer, right? Yeah. Pfeiffer. Yeah. Pfeiffer um, also, middle. what's his butt? What's his name? Oh, Christopher Plummer. Hey. Oh, Star oh, Trek. Right? Christopher him. Plummer. Uh, he plays her dad. Anyway. So William H. Macy, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's, he was... That's like the people who remember Mike from Breaking Bad from like Buckaroo Banzai. Wow. Oh. Well, I remember from Beverly Hills Cop. Hmm. Wasn't he on a like a sitcom in the '90s where he played a tough guy and he played a tough guy? You know. Oh, I don't know. That seems a little out of character for him. Yeah, I think it was like on a Taylor Leone show or something. I saw him. Could be. sure. Their 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 passions would work well against each other. But you know, the first time I saw William H Macy was in this Fargo. Yeah, me too. I think that was a segue for you, bud. Yeah, he's amazing. I fucking love him as Jerry Lundegaard. He he claims that so many people have assumed he improvised a lot, but he said basically with the Coens, and I've heard this before, this is the same the Jeff Bridges said about his uh 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 uh, uh but 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 that it might not be speech in Big Lebowski. <laughs> uh William H. Macy says every stammer was written into the script. Wow. Yeah, man. Which it's That's it's why wow. it works so yeah. perfectly, like clockwork. It's goddamn crazy that they know it how to how people write speak. lines it's that weird. well. Yeah. And not even it's not even it's better than how people speak. It's how people how speak make people extra speak. entertaining. Yeah. Not yeah. not even like and this is not a dig at like Aaron Sorkin or even Kevin Smith, where it's like, oh, you're writing in a really fun, interesting way to listen to, but everyone sounds the same. Yeah. Mm. Uh the Cohen brothers write each character, I mean, there's a Cohen-ness to them, but I feel like everyone is pretty distinct and doing their own thing. Yeah, but you, oh, yeah, you wouldn't. You everybody gets to shine. You, I yeah. feel like you would, you would trip if you did hear an extra word or lose a word. I, yeah. yeah. Well, with so with Sorkin, everybody's witty, but mm-hmm. with the Cohen brothers, it's amazing how witty, how wittily someone can be dumb. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. God. I think that's what they're like, if they have yeah. if they have a a big trick. It's yeah, yeah. It's it's writing yeah. people saying stupid. Shit. You know, like I said, he was funny looking. In what way was he funny looking? <laughs> Just in a general way. <laughs> 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 Even 
more than most people. Yeah, <laughs> for most people. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid and I saw this, the biggest thing I came away from when watching that movie was like, as soon as it ended, I was like, she never got to see in what way he was funny looking. Mm, that's true, because she only saw yeah, his foot I thought in the wood chipper. Well. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, no one would ever see. Yeah, she would always wonder Walter. the funniness of his yeah, And I love that casting <laughs> for Buscemi because I think we've all agreed we love Buscemi. We've all Damn. agreed that he is yeah. <laughs> odd looking, but we in an attractive way that we yeah, all appreciate. We, we don't mind yeah. to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. Like in this movie in particular, I don't know why, but immediately I was just like, Steve Buscemi's really handsome in this movie. Really? I don't know that why. Because I know he, he has like a little, yeah. he makes him look like a pedophile She's, or something. Yeah. But I saw him and I was like, he's looking nice. And then we wow. watched something else with him. Last thing I want to say about Jerry Lundegaard, William H. Macy, is that he lost that year to Cuba Gooding Jr. for Jerry Maguire. Oh, that uh, was such a that was such a cultural moment. Yeah. It's very true. Jerry Maguire swept the nation in a, in a way that Fargo is unfo- unfortunately just too dark and weird to have caught yeah, up to. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. That's that's interesting for me. So I, I unlike y- you all, did not watch Fargo as a. 10, 11 nice. year old. Uh, I, I, I don't think I saw it until college. So I it, it didn't exist in that moment for me. Jerry Maguire did yeah, sure. very much so. That is part of yeah. the 90s. Well, that and I'm part of 96, clearly for me. Really happy that Kubu has that Oscar. Yeah, he's great. he deserved it. <laughs> sure. But uh, the whole thing, it's a meat parade, as George C. Scott says. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, like, it's ridiculous to say that either of them didn't deserve it, in my opinion. Right. Sure. I, there are a few certainly deserved sure. uh, performances uh, uh, I enjoy more personally. Like really, like I could watch that over and over again and really be satisfied and impressed every time. Which William one? H Macy. Yeah, oh, as yeah. Jerry Lindegard specifically. Anyway. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, you betcha. You betcha. Maybe there's more to say about the movie. We're going to transition into the show, and we're going to go back to Mike Yanagita to do it. Oh. I had a theory about how this show was presented based on my feelings on watching this first season again for the second time. My theory is that Noah Hawley pitched it as a six-episode series to something like HBO, and that it ended up dancing its way to FX where they said, yeah, you can do it, but we want 10. Apparently that's not the case. (laughs) Out the window, but... Brave brave of you to even introduce it. it, FX wanted to develop a a Fargo series with Coen Brothers producing already and noah holly put himself up for the job and got it hmm. Hmm. But, a real brian fuller of a move <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely uh absolutely and he pitched it as a 10 hour movie in terms of his original vision for it but the thing that impressed the cohen's and fx the most was how much of his pitch was connected to m- the idea of mike yanagita hmm. and saying mike yanagita is this uh this thing in this this anomaly in the movie that everybody questions I think of it as an added detail just to make it feel more real, to fill the world out where it needs filling out just in that way of like the based on a true story essence of it, the the thing that makes the world feel like Mm -hmm. a full world. You know, that that was his essential pitch was like, so then who, what in the show is our Mike Yanagita, blah, blah, blah. He really impressed them with that. Hmm. What was the answer? Uh, well, I guess it changes season to season well, what, or episode the, to episode even for oh. like basically on the show he did. He pitched it as an anthology show, 10 episode movies every season 
with that question of like, what makes a Cohen world? Hmm. It's essentially this question of what's our Mike Yanagida? What was it in season one? I think it, I think there was one every episode. I really think he, with a fairly heavy hand, plopped weird stuff in. Like what? For the sake of being I think weird. it's uh, Milos. Who? Milos is the Mike? Yeah, Milos Stavros. The, uh, oh. Because that really kind of didn't go anywhere and wasn't resolved. I agree with that. We spend a lot more time. Yeah, yeah I... I see what you're saying more on an, on an episodic basis. There's, there's just always sort of something that... It doesn't matter at all. Just fills out the world, and we don't go. Just back a person to that. being weird somewhere. Hmm. Certainly, by season two, I, so you 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 would say the UFO sure. is a Mike Yanagita. Oh, spoilers for season two, Lauren. Yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, but I'm intrigued. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. And then in terms of like what the actual answer to the question of Mike Yanagita is, apparently the Cohen said they just put it in there so you could see. For the character Marge, essentially what Lauren said, it was to show her outside of her work and outside of her marriage. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. And make love her that. as more of a full character. And I think that's yeah. the best answer. Now, I love Fargo the show, and I think it's badass that this guy did this at all and that it works so well. Yeah. Uh, but I do think occasionally it feels a little heavy with the Mike Yanakita moments. Just as a, could you give me an example of a Mike Yanagita moment in the first season? Because I am not following. Okay, I'm trying to act like I follow, but it's, I don't. Okay, so in when uh, Lauren Malvo checks into the motel, and the woman's like, "If you pet, if you have pets, it's an extra fifty dollars or oh, whatever," sure. and he says, "What if I had a lizard or bacteria?" Or well, he gives that little speech of just this weird. She's like, "What?" Like it's like she's acting funny, he's acting weird. There's just these moments that they might inform a little bit about the character, but for the most part, they're just okay. a little. This world's kooky. Don't forget. Oh, <laughs> Don't see, forget I, about I the just saw that more Billy Bob Thornton's character routinely like holds a mirror up to people and be like, explain to me why what you said just makes sense in any reality. Yeah, you I know? just think it's. Yeah, I think there was a little more to what they were doing with it. And I think that was that character was a spiritual reference at least to the to the no country mm, sure. bad guy that was sort of his his play show give us i don't know you you don't yeah. know me i'm gonna give you a philosophical speech and then maybe kill you with a cow yeah but that's thing. i i yeah it's just different well that feels different to me because anton chigur had a payoff in mind every time and it was death <laughs> or a coin flip whereas billy bob like it was a routine versus billy bob i mean I, i'm not saying it doesn't work for his character his character yeah. wants chaos yeah he goes everywhere spreading chaos and care making who it villains he just whatever wants it. yeah but i do think in terms of just I, at least my taste i would say that hanging around that character for so long for 10 episodes sometimes it loses its effectiveness they're not all scenes where I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy's interesting. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, he's doing his thing. Billy again. Bob? Yeah. Oh, disagree. Oh. Okay. He scared the shit out of me every time. <laughs> okay. I, I liked. I, I No, no, no. I, I, okay. If I can speak to what you're both saying, he scared the shit out of me, too. But there were, I do recall moments where he became less scary by virtue of asking too many yeah. weird, quote unquote, yeah. questions. And being in it too much. I mean, that's. It took away from his. He became more of a more of a real person. Yeah, that's true. But less scary, less of a movie person. The show 
in my interpretation at least, struggled with trying to maintain presenting these characters as bad and undesirable while showing them do things that are cinematically cool. Like Lester's a schmuck and a piece of garbage, but he keeps outthinking people like Walter White. But yeah, then the show would go, go out of yeah. your way to make sure to show that he's not cool. He's, you know, he's lame and he's bad and he's violent and evil. Um, and same with the Billy Bob Thornton stuff. Like, this guy's the devil. He's a monster. He's doing cruel things for cruel purposes. And I think they did a pretty good job of whenever he, they tipped him into being, like, the guy that you're going to take the wrong message away from. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not supposed to look up to him. And I think a lot right. of guys will watch this and look up to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and I would never mm-hmm. thought while I was watching the movie ever, like, uh-oh, someone's going to think Peter Stromer is the way to go as a <laughs> <Right>. person. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, because when you have 10 episodes, you have to, it's really hard to, like, especially when you have just Billy Bob and Martin Freeman on screen, you have two despicable people on screen. Mm-hmm. If you don't like a little bit about what's going on, you're not going to want to watch but 10 I, episodes of it. I do think with Lester, even more than Jerry, Jerry, you want things to work out for so people don't get killed. Mm. For Lester, I do think there is a transition of whether you completely despise him or don't. I mean, I know he kills his wife pretty quick. <laughs> but there, there is a slide into even more narcissism. And yeah, and, like whenever right. he be, he gets emboldened by getting away with it, he becomes more terrible and yeah. likes it even. I love that right. message though. There's always a, like a dark and a light, if you will, a good a good versus evil, but it's not good versus evil. It's not as pure as that. I guess March Gunderson is pretty pretty close to pure. So good. small he solves like, and then yeah. in a in, 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 in a way yeah. Malvo is he has some sort of code, if you will. Lester is the is the example of the codeless, the weasel, the I only look out right. for myself. Right. I don't think there's supposed to be anyone more despicable than Lester, even the serial it's because, killer. because... Um, he befriends. I think Lester right. is just like a real evil. Like when you... The evil that besets all of us in, in the world, it's because of people like Lester who are well, more emboldened and empowered to do so, but they are just like evil. And Billy Bob Thornton is evil like how you hope the world is evil. That I, a cartoony way that you can overcome with the power of love or by just not listening to the voice whispering in your ear. I think part of the journey with Lester is it's almost like he disappoints you because he makes multiple decisions in a row that become more and more despicable and he starts doing it more and more easily. In the beginning, I think it's possible. I think it's an interesting question. If Lester had never met Malvo, what would the rest of Lester's life been like? Because he is quietly violent. Oh, because but he, he, ne- he'd he, he never done violence before. Right. He didn't kill his wife because Lester or because Malvo told him to. No, oh, but he, he was emboldened by Malvo in their right, meeting. Right. Oh, so he probably he got the touch of evil from Malvo. I, I think, I think there's arguably. An, I think yeah. there's enough evidence of Lester's restrained hostility that no matter if he met Billy Bob or not, some sort of violence would have been t- drawn out by him eventually because that's that's just boiling under the surface. That's the point. I do think that's true. Certainly, in the real world, as a yeah. real person, yeah, he, he was on that. Yeah. yeah, it's easy for him. Well, could I choose evil? Let me pose a question to the group that is an effort to answer that question. Paul, hmm. is Billy Bob Thornton playing the devil? I would say no, because they kind of do the devil in season three. 
and it's more clear than that. Well, but if we'd only seen <laughs> season one. Uh, I mean, yeah, sure, arguably. He's evil incarnate or whatever. He he's chaotic evil. I do think, and like you said, I know he. you said he's neutral, but I do think he wants chaos. He also wants violence. He loves, he says that line in the elevator where he's like, that look right before you shoot him, though. That's pretty great. Like, mm. he's just, he does want everybody to fail and die. He he wants, it's almost like he picks Lester because he knows Lester will go do bad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like in Lester, Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and they explore that they that that he has he has these these weak little men yeah. across the country where oh. he's where he's done this before because he I, I don't remember the specific storyline he someone in Omaha yeah it, when right? he's yeah he's listening to a recording and the guy's like these thoughts you put in my head and then the guy kills himself right yeah. like Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. yeah so I do think that yeah he okay mm-hmm. so yeah to your point he recognized something in Lester. Mm. Like that little bit of like, shouldn't, he, this, shouldn't this guy die? It's like he he sees in people. Well, a weakness. Yeah, yeah he sure. sees yeah. in people what button he, what what pilot light he can turn up just enough to give them a little bit of a, enough rope to hang themselves, basically. Yeah. He would know exactly. He wouldn't have said, yeah. Do we ever figure out exactly what happened in Sioux Falls? Ah. That's what season two is about, spoilers. Ah. Yeah, season two is all the oh, backstory. Yeah. Of Lou. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Who plays him? Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson plays a young... Uh, pl- yeah. 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 Watchman's Patrick Wilson. He's, he's great. Yeah. Patrick Wilson was... It's a great season. I, that, that's his standout role in mm. my mind. Per- I agree, actually. Person- oh, he's great in Little Women. Also. Or not Little Women, Little Children. Ah. But it's fucked oh, up. Oh, that's, that's significantly more fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. How would you rank the Fargo seasons for you? Oh, I've only seen up to season two. Oh, damn. Well, what about you, Paul? Sorry. I think season, season three would, is my favorite. Yeah. Hmm. And this is three before this viewing of season one. I would have ranked them three, one, four, two. Three, one, four, two. Yeah. But. Two, two that low, really? Yes, but I think part of my thing with two wow. is that's everybody's favorite, and I like one and three more. So I think it might be below four just out of a grudge. Wow. Type of thing. In any case, I'm complex. Okay. But uh, <laughs> after this viewing of season one, I need to double check my math and see how perfect the other seasons are because I saw more gaping flaws in season one this time. Whoa. Such as? Whoa. To me, and this is where my six episode pitch theory comes from. To me, Stavros cut the whole thing. Oh. Cut the whole Phoenix mm. Farm storyline. I think it stretches Malvo out too much. It gets him in a thing where he's given speeches to characters you don't care about for four days uh, or however long it is. Also, the Glenn Howerton thing, it doesn't even really strike me as the right character choice because I think the more interesting choice for Malvo to make would be he goes there to do the job of finding the uh, blackmailer. He does. He kills him. And then he keeps doing the blackmail himself. Well, that is what he did. That is what he does. But what he does is for three episodes have Glenn Howerton follow him around and I don't find those scenes entertaining because it's just him outsmarting an idiot and the idiot <laughs> never knowing, never saying anything funny or like never even really knowing what's going on. Just like, well, why am I doing this? Oh, yeah. why am I going to do this? And then, hey, what are you doing now? Oh, like, it's just, I don't know. It doesn't uh, it, play it does for me. It seem to like not really incorporate with the rest of the show. It doesn't, and it I, just goes away. Yeah, I was trying to like figure out like how yeah. does this like weave into the re- to like the overall mystery, and it doesn't. Well, okay, let okay. me say two things here. One, 
I do agree that if you lift it out and you're just doing Jerry the Nygaard core stuff, story. it's really, that is incredibly tight. That's Buster. wonderful. It's fine. <laughs> I call him, he knows what I call him, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> um, two, though, I would say that I, I really wouldn't want to sacrifice the Stavro storyline because I cannot swallow something without Oliver Platt is better than something <laughs> with Oliver Platt. I love Oliver Platt, but I don't think he gets anything good in this. I don't think he gets to say any intriguing lines. I don't think his character gets to do anything fun. He's just the Duke. He's just boss, boss, boss. Then he goes nuts because he's on the pills. So upsetting. Yeah. (laughs) And you have to really, you know, the Coen brothers, if they do anything good, it's make these decisions. You know, they're drowning in talent. Like they, they obviously make some hard decisions or have made hard decisions throughout their career on who to include in a film out of the stable of amazing actors who have worked with them and want to work yeah. with them. So yeah, it could, maybe the season could have used a little of that I, tough, tough decision. I, the two things I find hardest to lose about it. First of all, okay. okay setting the stage. This is Kim's first time watching it. She fucking loved the pilot. She's a hard sell. She's yeah. tough. Yeah. Uh, love the pilot. It's an amazing pilot. Really intriguing. You can't wait to see what happens. Second episode picks up on that. Great. Then four episodes of Stavros with minimal Lester, Molly, Gus, everybody. Mm-hmm. You need the stuff that's in there with them, but you could combine it into like one episode, maybe it's a seven episode season. The Stavros stuff, all it does is make you, well, I already went over all this, but in any case, two things I find hardest to miss about Stavros is one, the connection to the movie Fargo, mm, which yeah. I have a fix for. The ice scraper. I have yeah. a fix for that. Okay. You make the parents in the car Sam Hess's parents. The kid is Sam Hess. That's just the detail of where their Hess fortune came from. Oh, I like it. And then Hess, who's already oh. a bully, thinks God's on his side, oh, blah, yeah. blah, blah, fits right in. Check out this guy. That's, That's my fix for that. The other thing I would miss, I have fix for this too, but one of my favorite jokes in the whole season is when you meet Stavros's son and Billy Bob Thornton gives him the joke of the, what kind of bone will a doggy not eat? Chicken. chicken. <laughs> <All> <laughs> so slightly, happily. Chicken. Lauren and I have been saying chicken to each other for a week. So one of my favorite jokes in the show. I guess I would have just given it to like one of his sons. Has, has yeah. his dumb sons. Sure. But God, that is a great moment. <laughs> I, and also makes me sad that the character dies. Oh, yeah. yeah. I gotta Poor say, Dimitri. I like didn't realize this very moment that. William H. Macy's character was not named Lester Nygaard. So Gary Lundegaard. You're right. So yeah. I'm I've am I'm, I'm caught it up. It was interesting now. to choose a name that also ends in guard. And I want to use this as an opportunity to jump ahead to a question. Should this movie have a sequel? No. 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 I think the only way a sequel for this movie works at all is as this weird thing that's only capable of where we're at with entertainment. Yeah. Where it's a love letter to the, sure. to the Coens as much as it is a love letter to Fargo itself, and it's a show. I think that's the only way it works. Crucially, it has to be good as well. Yes, that's yeah. true. People make love letters all the time, and they're, and they're yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah. This one was right. good. Yeah, yeah but, this one would have been, no, it, like, it, if, yeah. if someone had never even heard of the Coen brothers or Fargo, and you showed them this show, I yeah. think they would be equally excited. I agree. I can confirm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I watched yeah. the first episode of Fargo. Back in 2020, very good, too dark for 2020. Mm, and then mm. I watched Fargo for the first time mm. last week. Mm. So, if this basic story 
had come out as a sequel movie, I would like it, but I would be a little bit like, it's weird that they had like a Jerry Lundegaard type and a <laughs> pregnant cop lady type. Like, it's weird that they cloned yeah. so many elements, sort of, which I think makes sense, though, to do with the TV show, where it's like, it's not the same story. Right. But it's yeah. not. It makes it a little confusing, though. A little bit. Again, I think there are there are characters in the first season though where their their closest corollary is from a totally different Cohen film, not from right. Fun. Sure, Lorne Malvo, for example. I mean, he's kind of the Peter Stormare, but he's definitely more Anton Chigurh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, casting Billy Bob Thornton, you're not really going to go wrong too often. But as as far as the guy, like the little scrawny dude who says obnoxious, insane shit that you 100 percent believe and will back away slowly from. That's one of the only guys I could think of mm. of that of that stature and bearing. Who, if he said something like that, I'd be like, "All right, well, you have a good one, man. Whatever yeah. you say, thank you much." Someone who can instantly make you want to punch him, but you won't because he's yeah, crazy. he's good and scary. Mm-hmm. He's got that smiling wolf thing down incredibly. Mm-hmm. the The moment where he dies, where he's got the holes in his face, scary, or before he dies, where he's got the bloody teeth and he's just staring at him before he mm-hmm. shoots him in the face like that. It's so scary. It is like yeah. I, I even had the thought. I was like, oh, I would have to shoot him again because I would. I was I, watching him. I'm like, I, I still think you can get up and kill me. Yeah. So I need to kill you more. Well, and he <laughs> takes the knife away even after he shoots him right. in the face twice. I love that detail. I love everything about that scene. And I yeah. love that as a scene that is a perfect example of don't give a speech. Because he shows up and goes, hey, I thought about your riddle. Oh, yeah, what'd you think? <laughs> like, it's, it's perfect. Because I had just right beforehand been a little disappointed. And I have very, outside of the cut the four episodes things, I have very few notes on Fargo season one. I think it's incredible. Yeah. I do need to say that. My two notes <laughs> Other are... Than remove 35 are to 40% of the whole product. Remove the cork board with the strings on it that ex- uh, for Molly's conspiracy theory that exists in the house right next to the baby stuff. I just, I found it useless both times they showed it. One was, it's a year later, you're just getting cut up on where her life is. All she has to do is call the FBI and show interest in the case. We don't need to see that she has the board still a year later in the room with baby stuff, especially because we know she has that other board that she uses again later. The other time they use it is Colin Hanks looks at it and it's like, yeah, all right, I get He doesn't need to look at the board. He just needs to think about Billy Bob Thornton. I just find it's it unnecessary. visual storytelling. How do you show him thinking about Billy Bob it's, Thornton? It's too spoon feedy for me. Sometimes I need a good spoon, though. Okay. You like the spoon? Sometimes. Like, because sometimes I'll, I will complain. I'll go like, I get it. You don't have to show me. But then other times they'll spoon feed me something and I'll go, oh, from before. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Forgot okay. about her. My other note is just when it gets the confrontation where, or the point where Lester, it's the last thing Lester and Molly say to each other, where he, she's sending him off to be bait and he's like, I'm not this monster you think I am. She tells a story about the glove. And the yeah, platform. she tells a riddle, which is like... For me, it, that I've been waiting for that moment the whole show. What's she going to say to Lester when she's finally like given the opportunity to say like what she thinks of him? I kind of wanted for it. And then you give me what I've gotten from Lorne and from Key and Peele. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think she's the Riddler. And yet she's they the make her shooter. the Riddler. Right. Yeah. And it's also it's a confusing metaphor. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why she said that to him. I, I had to look it up. Okay. But I like apparently what it means is like, She's telling him he could drop the second glove on the platform and then someone she he, like he could give up Malvo mm-hmm. because he's ar- he's already 
caught. He's already lost one glove. The pair's ruined for him. Right. But he could give them what they need, and then somebody gets gloves. Yeah, that's what you thought. Because he's not going to get gloves either way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's what, yeah, all right. You yeah. know, like it. I just don't okay. need it. I'd rather it be more straightforward. Yeah, I agree. I don't need a riddle in that moment. So, okay. And then there's a riddle in the next scene. The fox rabbit cabbage thing. It's just like, yeah, all right. But just no spoon feeding and also no no riddles. Less riddles. Less less, less clear less riddles. and more clear. Riddles aren't clear. Right. <laughs> you want no spoon feeding right. and no so, riddles. So more clear than the riddles, less clear than the spoon feeding. Yeah. Which it walks right. the rest of the time. Balls video. in your court, Noah. I, Holly clearly loved Noah. <laughs> Obviously, I'm in awe of him, but like he loves riddles. If you watch Legion, he loves to waste your time with little <laughs> visual riddles. And here we go. I'm having a party. He he, he loves it. And, I, you know, no one else could have done this. So I'll take it along with everything else. But it is a note. This is what the last thing I'll say about how good Fargo is. We had about 10 days to watch him. <laughs> And we were just going to do like two episodes a day just to make sure we were prepared. Easy. The second night, we stayed up till like two, three in the morning watching five episodes because we just could not yeah. stop watching. And every, yeah. like, I don't, I can't think of a single episode that ended where I wasn't like, well, what happens next? We got to <laughs> put on the next one. Yeah. Um, And also, this, this show feels like a hard sell because normally I hate, like, I have trouble watching shows where the protagonists are like just really awful billy bob's not pretending to be a good person no um and it's just oh, oh, always a pleasure to watch martin freeman so oh, yeah god he crushes what a man what a man i was so, gonna say well, what, one last what, thing what, about what, martin it's such a spe specific thing but he more than any other actor i've ever seen is so good at acting like he's about to pass out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's so good at yeah. it his voice yeah. breaks you know, I mean, it's on par. It's there with William H. Macy. The when he decides to stop and go, ah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's mm. uh, like he, he, when he decides to shift, it's yeah. got it, it. It works incredibly over and over again. It worked for Bilbo. It works for everything he does. He's yeah. So, mm -mm. so good. Yeah. The legend is that he, he did not watch the film, had not seen the film prior to playing. I can but, believe that. I believe that. Sure. I mean, I guess I'll buy it, but it's it's crazy to me because it's it's so close that performance to 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 Macy's. I think it's less that they were similar and more that that character is just very. It's obvious how to play it whenever you see it on paper. That's just what you get when you have someone driven only by anger. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the bad decision you, right. you've made. That right, because emotion. like William H okay. Macy okay. played it very William H Macy and killed it. Yeah, and Martin Freeman played played it very Martin Freeman. So it's very two very different performances of the same obvious character same yeah. emotional yeah. arcs minnesotan yeah close to british i think it's even closer to irish accent wise oh, oh yeah but but i oh, will yeah. say the one thing that bothered me <laughs> yeah. about mike yanagita was not that not the content not that he was there but i felt like that actor's accent was a little too far i know oh. i thought, oh, I thought he was I loved his accent. I, well and part of why i love his accent there's a point at which he turns his l's to r's like he has a Asian presence on top of his Minnesotan, where he's like, I'm that. so runny. Like he says that. I didn't notice oh. that. I think that's purposeful. It's a just a different example of another thing you can put Nisus on top of. He's not doing something as despicable as having his wife kidnapped or murdering somebody. And he's not just doing something great. He's lying, doing a shitty thing. to a lady at a bar to try thing. to yeah, yeah. get her upstairs. But he's doing it with the manners. He's, you mm -hmm. know, like, 
you're you married Norm, son of a Gunderson. Like he, you know, he only yeah. killed his wife in his mind. <laughs> yeah. She wasn't his yeah, wife. I don't know what that character's role or significance is in the movie, but I all I really like him. I liked yeah. him when I was a kid. I was so excited to see him now. I also love the name when she answers the phone and he's like, hey, it's Mike Yanagita. She's like, Mike Yanagita. She's like still waking up. Okay, so some, I want to do fun facts, then we'll do Unsung Heroes and rap. Okay. Okay. All right. So some fun facts here. Uh, We got not so fun facts too. Those are fun. Anyway. uh, (laughs) We should rename them. Okay. I don't know if anybody noticed in the credits, one of the murder victims is credited with the symbol for Prince. No. Mm -hmm. I didn't notice that. As if that is the actor's name, like the, mm-hmm. the symbol that Prince adopted as part of his you, career. Did you verify that it's the exact symbol and not just a symbol? It's a similar. It's a similar symbol. Okay, hmm. so maybe taking a symbol name was was in that year. No, 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 no. It's the Coens did it oh. uh, uh, because the it, the that character is played by the storyboard artist of the film, and he didn't want his name in the credits. Uh-huh. So they put a, put a weird symbol. Why, why did he not want his name in the credits? I don't know. It's just kind of like, oh, I'm a storyboard artist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, but a, not for... a murder victim. <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, Do you, don't know. Can we put your name in the credits maybe, for storyboard well, I'm sure they artist? did. Or yes. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yes. You know what? Yeah. We're going to find but someone like else to play they, the role. They, Thank you. How they use yeah. a, a pseudonym for their editor credit every time. Right. Roderick Janes, which is them. They're, but the editor of all their films is a fake person named Roderick James. And that leads me perfectly in this awesome fun fact. They were up for best editing at the Oscars. They had actor Albert Finney set to go up on stage in costume. As Roderick James? And to be Roderick James. Oh, that's amazing. And the Academy hated it. Oh, I mean, it's oh. not why they lost, I guess, but it is like they were. Would like, have been we better if you, you do like. Oh, so this. slapped yeah. Chris. It sounds Trump. like they're actually just an awesome lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of a crazy fun fact. There was a Fargo pilot shot in 1997, Ooh. starring Edie Falco as Marge Ooh. Gunderson, and it was supposed to just be about the continuing adventures of Marge Gunderson. Cohen's were involved. They only made a pilot and mm. got shelved that same year. She got Carmella. Oh. oh wow! So that failed. So brightness failed spectacularly. I love yeah. to watch the tape. Yeah, it Please. exists. Apparently, yeah. it was re-released on some special, like brilliance that never saw the light of day thing. Oh that, great! Yeah, uh, Oof. love yeah. Task task failed successfully. Right? <laughs> yeah. Wow, that could have been a lot of bad. Yeah. Well, and it, knowing knowing they weren't involved, and I can't imagine them being involved if it was the continuation storyline. It just doesn't. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And we wouldn't probably have gotten this series, which we do all love. Uh, And then my final fun fact is real quick. When Peter Stormare later formed a band called Blonde from Fargo. Oh. Oh. Really? So. Mm -hmm. Huh. Because of all the things to know him only for, I I, I think more of the nihilist. Right. (laughs) Who is in a band. Who is in a band. Yeah. (laughs) I guess because they're more musical. Yeah. I got not fun facts also, just because these are bummers, mm. you know, for someone. <laughs> bummers. Uh, the wood chipper, the story of Fargo is not real, as claimed by the titles, of course. Uh, but the wood chipper part is, uh, it was a true life murder in Connecticut. Wife was murdered by her husband and put her in the wood chipper to dispose of her, but was caught because it didn't uh, chip her well enough. Right. She was too much just, tissue. Just that was that so that was my, if I had a gripe about that scene, all the finely chopped bits of 
who semi goo. I was like, ah, I have you, like, have you used a wood chipper <laughs> to get it to chop just a little branch that, yeah. that big around? It's not. I guess I'd rather it looked like that though. I didn't need to see like jelly extra mutilation. Well, yeah, because yeah. yeah. yes, yes. What would happen is a very loud sound and then sort of. Yeah, collapsed. but this instantly is, stopped. I, I just, I just think it would yeah. break. Yeah, it's good to have our facts straight, though, so I appreciate that. <laughs> also, you know, last ah, throw in a real quick fun fact because it's so fun and squishy, and y- you want to hear everything about this guy. Tom Hanks mm. considers this film, the film, perfect on every level. He must be so happy for co- that Colin was on oh, the TV show. Yeah, I get to watch more Fargo, and it's my son. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Um, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I wanted to bring up a couple more things that I remember that I liked about the show a lot. Yeah. I really, really liked um, uh, the, the deaf fella and his partner. Mr. Wrench. Crazy Eddie. And Mr. Numbers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, they were really, I really enjoyed them. They had a fun dynamic. Um, Notice I did not say cut them out. Yeah. Just because just, they haven't come up yet. Mm. Oh, I sure. Liked them. I would have liked to have yeah. seen like what happened. I guess to Mr. He went to jail, <laughs> probably. Well, but he remember, the he gave the key to the handcuffs. Oh, right, he, he was going to get out. Get out. Yeah. Yeah. What maybe, he's, maybe he's in later season. Maybe. Probably not. Because <laughs> they're all doing something different. Well, they are all connected, though. That's true. Uh, which I like. I like mm-hmm. that they have that. I was not expecting to see uh, Jordan Peele and Keegan Michael yeah. Key. That was mm. very. Budge and Pepper were excellent. That was very exciting mm. and unexpected. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, it reminded me because I'm such, I'm so obviously in awe of Jordan Peele as the director now. Mm-hmm. Don't mind, do whatever you want to do with your time, buddy. Like, I'm, I appreciate <laughs> I'm, it. I'm showing up. But it, this reminded me because I haven't seen him in something that I hadn't, like, besides Key and Peele, just sketches I rewatch in a while. That I just, he's, I miss him acting. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's so funny and in a mm-hmm. very different. I feel like Keegan Michael Key is obviously a great comedic actor he's got great timing but he definitely seems actory whereas well, he, he's feels... more external and popping yeah and jordan plays it you can see like martin a lot of stuff happening yeah. internally and then he makes an action yeah, yeah. so and that's why they work so well together he just walks in and he looks funny too <laughs> like that well not always but that scene where, like, where, where he he meets <laughs> they meet her at the diner and his tie's looking all sloppy, and he's just looking at her like hungry, like, can't wait to find out what the information is. He comes in and he's got a face on, I'm laughing already. Like, he's just. He's got like a Buster Keaton ish quality yeah. to his comedy. Stony, stony faced. Yeah. 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 And he plays yeah. a good straight man off of Keaton. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he, yeah. I, I miss him. I miss him doing stuff. I hope he. I hope he puts himself in one of his films or he just, maybe it's not something he enjoyed as much, you know? Maybe he's done. He did it it for 20 years on Mad TV and Key and Peele and he's got a few movies and he's like, I'm just behind the camera. Thank you. You get to sit all day. (laughs) Well, does anybody have any unsung heroes? Hit it, Paul Jr. Unsung heroes. I... uh want to know what you guys have for this because this was very hard for me to I, I come up with anyone for the film because everyone's used so there's a, I, there's a man they're sung I, they're all sung yeah, so I agree with that I and I think that's always a Cohen's thing it was hard with the Big Lebowski as well because every single yeah. person is very purposefully used mm-hmm. uh, if they're gonna be on screen you're gonna remember them you're gonna someone's gonna quote them and be like that guy's my favorite you know what I mean if they have yeah. one line uh, so I agree with that, but I am pretty excited about my Fargo film one. So well, my my Fargo yeah. film one is the man at the bar who looked like George R. R. Martin. 
Oh. He stood by the pool table. And I regret to say that Lauren said, oh, that guy looks like George R.R. R. Martin. And I said, dibs on unsung hero. Ah. So y'all see, see how we scum. How I scum. <laughs> how we scum. That's well, a better example than I have. I, I Now that I'm thinking about mine, I'm sure he's as sung as anybody well, else. But, okay. but it's one line. And I want to point it out because I love it on so many levels. The guy's yelling at Jerry because he gave him the true coat sealant. Mm-hmm. He didn't yeah. want the true coat. He, I'm paying 19 <laughs> car. Oh. And uh, Jerry goes and talks to his boss. Let me go talk to my boss. <laughs> and he goes into the next room and he talks to his boss. And it's obviously he's not talking to him about the car. And he just asks me, you going to the Gophers on Sunday? Oh, you betcha. And then he goes, you wouldn't happen to have an extra ticket. And the guy turns, he's eating his lunch. He goes, you kidding and then that's the end of the scene. I love that so much because you maybe don't know exactly how he means that, but anyway, he means it. It's funny. Yeah. Right. It's like, what are you, an idiot? Like, like of course I don't have a ticket. Or there's like, no in- yeah. interaction William H. Macy can have with anyone that they don't just humiliate him in some way. He Nothing he can do yeah. ends without humiliation for him. That's true. The only thing I can think of, it's like, you know, a lot of my unsung heroes are like performance notes or things. But I thought it was so fucking funny whenever Peter Stromer decides to kill Steve Buscemi and he comes out of the house with an axe <laughs> yeah. and he puts a little oh, head on, on his on. head yeah. first yeah. before he kills him. Uh, and that was just the, so, long so funny. That, that shot is amazing because it, it breaks all the rules of, of like suspense of that kind of thing. You, you don't. I don't know. At least I didn't think it was coming. Even this time, I didn't think about, oh, well, he's about to bust out behind him. It's just this follow shot. We're going to watch. We're going to watch Buscemi walk away. And then, oh, <laughs> over there in the corner of the frame, like it's perfectly framed, but it's it's just it's atypical. It's not the kind of it's not how you normally it's, it doesn't have any of the buildup. They're doing things a little differently and a little atypically bending or breaking rules, but not in a haphazard we're just doing stuff to do stuff way. Everything they do is still so purposeful, mm. but your your brain is getting fuzzy and tickled the whole time because it's always just a little bit something else. I feel like they originated or, or at least played a, a big part in popularizing the dull surprise. Mm. The, oh, oh, the, he, yeah. they just shot him just right there before the line could yeah. finish, whatever it was, just right. Brad Pitt snapping to it with the action. Done instead. from the movie. Right. <laughs> yeah. In a in burn after yeah. Like, no, oh, burn right. after reading. Burn yeah. after reading. Just, yes. They. Yeah. Yeah. I like. But even by then, they're by then they're aping. Yes. Right. So, like, yeah. like even even William H Macy's wife being killed off screen and yeah. barely being dealt with or acknowledged beyond just oh hey yeah. what's up. Yeah. yeah. I didn't need yeah. the kid honestly. He didn't add. He didn't add much. I I to think it for me. I think it's necessary for the scene where Jerry talks to him. And he's like, what if something goes wrong, Dad? Mm. And it's like one of the most should be tenderest, hard to deal with moments of you addressing your son because his mother's been kidnapped. And he's worried his mom's going to die. And he's behind yeah. him. And he has that like, oh, these men just want money. Mm. You know, because he's just so, you know, he's fooling himself as much as anybody else that this is it's just going to work. It's right. fine. Uh, it, I think that scene adds a lot. Okay. Okay. And but, then are, are, are you are you going to, you know, Mr. The, the accountant, uh, Mr. What's his name? The accountant for the father. He's called called oh, twice God. while you're out. Are you gonna call him back? Yeah, yeah. well, I'm I'm going to bed. Gus Gustafson? Yeah. Gustafson's no, Gustafson's accountant. the dad. 
But his, uh, what is his, his name? His lackey, his lawyer. The, he's no. one of my, Gunderson is Marge's last name. But he, one of my favorite <laughs> laugh lines, like one of my favorite lines in Fargo, out of context, the line he says in that room where Jerry thinks he's going to get all the money off the land deal oh. that he's bringing him. He keeps saying over and over again, we're not a bank, Jerry. Yeah. Like, as like a <laughs> running phrase. And then he does that. You're saying, what are you saying? <laughs> like, <laughs> one of my favorite moments. Just that, uh, yeah. Ugh. Also, we did not get your unsung hero. Oh, you have one? I, no, I don't have one, did honestly. One? I, like, what about my for the comment show? was just the Anybody kid the show? seemed sung enough. I mean, it, it's like Fargo, like the Coens. It's again, every scene has its bit. Like, there's not a scene without a bit. If they're going to introduce a character, he's going to have a bit. Like, even just the guy at the post office, like, well, this is highly irregular. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's kind of all he has, but it's something. The the, the uh, lady cop was, at the at the desk who was, like, yeah. nervous yeah, about yeah, the yeah. criminal. She's like, well, what should I do? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Am I okay? Everybody's gone. Yeah. Maybe lock the door. But I'm going to get mine for the show is when Billy Bob gets arrested by Colin Hanks and then he pretends to be the Reverend Frank Peterson. Oh, sure. And he, obviously, I love him getting... That's a, that's a Malvo moment I love where you get to see him do something he doesn't do for the rest of it. He gets to make fun of them by going, oh, duh, duh. But <laughs> the glasses that he puts on, he picks up because a cop puts them down right in front of him and he just like fluidly on his feet thinking about it. He's already started the character. He sees these glasses, he picks them up, he puts them on and then he wears them for like days. And that cop <laughs> never notices. I, didn't I love it. That. It's I such a good this. bit. Like that a cop was put his glasses down and then they're immediately saw, And then later is probably like, wait, we're, we're like, yeah. <laughs> doesn't put it together. It's great. I, you know, it's interesting when you hear the Coen brothers take on their own movies, but like, Lebowski, you know, it's so beloved and has so so many elements from their life that they put into it. Like the characters are all based on people they know intimately, and then they're like, "Yeah, we think it's okay. We're not we're not as fun of it as anybody else." Like it's like, <laughs> "Oh shit! <laughs> all right, well, yeah, go be brilliant, I guess." <laughs> yeah. Enjoy your works. Oscars. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy your cool wife. I got a fun fact that seems. I don't know. I didn't give any some facts about the series. Billy Bob Thornton came up with his own haircut. Uh, I yeah. don't think I knew that specifically, but that tracks. He looked it yeah. looked weird enough that, yeah. Yeah. that I was like, the guy looks weird, yeah. and it, yeah. it, it adds to this weird character. I like how he went he went back to that haircut after abandoning his dental right, dentist which looked way facade. better. Yeah, he's like, yeah. Oh, I like my yeah. hair this way. I'm a yeah. psycho. The, that's another. That's another Anton Chigurh though connection. The the, the bad or at least unexpected oh, the bad hair. hair. The bull cut. Like, out of its time hair. Yeah. Unexpected hair. Yeah. Like one yeah. more thought. Like I don't. I don't know what the hitman lifestyle is like. But committing six. <laughs> the Coens seem to. Yeah, but like committing six <laughs> months of your life, being able to to I, I don't know how he got a dentist certification to be a dentist, but like committing six months of your life for a hundred thousand dollar bounty. I feel like he could get more money. We also got married. I mean, he got, he got he got a whole yeah. life. He <laughs> yeah. got a himself dentist. a whole life for a year, six months. That's what I. That is what I thought. He could have just been a dentist and got a hundred thousand dollars every year, or yeah. more, you know, right? You're already killing six, six people, so kill six people for twenty thousand or something. Like, yeah. I don't want to tell you your business, but 
that uh, aspect of things, him being a dentist, a successful dentist that you watch do dentist work oh, in that scene, that is one of the best examples. Pays of pretty well. The devil, but but also just like yeah, he can just pick up whatever, do something do that, whatever. Because Lauren mentioned that too, but I noticed the guy, mm-hmm. the dentist patient, patient said. That was the most painful experience of his life, and he That's had, had something run over his foot. I think Billy Bob Thornton's just a good bullshitter and doesn't know oh, how to yeah. do dentist shit and, and just wouldn't poking care around. If he hurt people, or right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, also, there's there's probably just a comment on there on that dentists yeah. in general are, you know, masochists. Yeah. Oh, like Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> Matter of fact, I do. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, Little Shop of Horrors the- makes it way more overtly, but it's the same. The same thing. Like, oh, this guy's so fucked up. He could <laughs> <Yeah>. be <a laughs> That's funny. Oh, yeah, and there's the suicide thing, right? Yeah. It's suicide a lot. A lot of darkness around dentists. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, on that mm. nerd. Yeah. Well, <laughs> on that nerd. <laughs> on that nerd. In the world, well, if you look book. for it. <laughs> any plugs? You guys got any plugs? Lauren, do you have any plugs? I don't. Uh, listen, to the, <laughs> listen to the hotel. Please listen to the hotel. You'll like it. I swear. Mm. You probably already do. You probably. <laughs> if you're listening to this, you yeah. listen to that. <laughs> no plugs. No plugs. So, announcement for what the next episode is. We're doing Titanic 2. Titanic. It's been a pleasure being here with you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see you, bro, uh, as always. It's nice to have return guests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's nice when the good guests return, I should say. <laughs> Nice to have Dustin. <laughs> Wonder who Ooh, who's the please, bad guest. Please tell who are the bad guests. Yeah, if any no, former guests are listening this going, oh, is it me? <laughs> well, I don't know. I haven't know. been back. <laughs> I feel like if I feel like if you're listening to this and you wonder if you did a bad job, why do you wonder that? And do better. Give them next a call. Time. <laughs>Thank you for listening to the follow-up showdown. Special thanks to Travis McMaster for being our mix master and Tony Intergenato for tracking down what can't be found. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can write a review and follow us on Instagram or TikTok at the follow-up showdown and Twitter at FU Showdown Pod. We're also on YouTube!